I'm Des Muhammad. Welcome to Jobmakers. Let's face it, the United States doesn't always work as well for some as it does for others. Looking at the wealth gap and who it affects in this country is but one very revealing example. And particularly if you come from a place of sameness, like the former Soviet Union, for instance, those gaps in inequities likely stand out even more. For Yulia Tarasova, immigrant from Belarus and co-founder and chief operating officer at C-Note, an impact investment platform that delivers returns by investing in women, minorities, and low-income communities, America's inequities stared her in the face. So she and a friend, also with immigrant roots, decided to do something about it. The result is astonishing. In just six years, CNOTE has helped create or maintain more than 4,000 jobs in disadvantaged communities, invested more than 50% of capital into small businesses owned by Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and invested more than 40% of capital into women-led small businesses, eight times the national average. Yulia believes everyone deserves a chance at success, and dismantling the systemic barriers to such success is what she and her business are all about, as you learn in this week's Jobmakers. Yulia Tarasova, COO and co-founder of CNote. Thank you for joining us on the Jobmakers podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me, Denzel. Uh, so tell us a little bit. You, you have a very unique company, I would say. And what was the problem that you sought to address with the idea behind CNote? Yeah, so why CNote exists is to use financial innovation to solve for wealth gaps to help to reduce the wealth gap. That was the intention that would you know, kept myself and my co-founder at night. And that's what we really wanted to solve by starting CNO. And how successful has your company been since 20, you founded it in 2016 in meeting its goals? Yeah, you know, I think I think the time really will tell. Obviously, as you can imagine, a closing wealth gap, it's a very aspirational goal, right? And, and I think we can all argue, how do you measure that? Um, I think for us, we are thinking about some of the concrete numbers, you know, like that we can capture, which is the the capital that we deployed in underserved communities that helped with creating wealth or leveling, you know, um, leveling the field. Uh, and so far, we deployed over I think 100, 150 million in capital, um, you know, in underserved communities around the country. Um, and we have about, you know, like 200 million that is kind of like constantly circling, you know, on the platform. Um, we can also count the number, you know, number of jobs, you know, like that we created, which, uh, which is also, uh, you know, in, in, in hundreds. Uh, we can also count, you know, like how many affordable housing units were created by using that capital that we deployed in the communities to build affordable housing, right? And on the top of it, we, the capital is also used to create community facilities where you know kids can gather for uh, post-school education, right, or, or some activities. Like we 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 help to build health clinics. We helped to build um, healthier food stores, right, in a food desert. So the capital is really being used to make communities more sustainable, more resilient, and create opportunities for people in those communities to really 
get to the next, you know, to the next level. And again, leveling the field and giving them opportunities that otherwise they would not have because they don't have access to capital, they don't have access to certain financial products and services that, you know, we all used to. And I know that you are headquartered in Oakland, California, even though your team is entirely remote and actually always has been, even pre-pandemic, and clearly it works very well for you. Um, But you you chose Oakland intentionally. Can you give us perhaps your favorite example of uh, opportunities that you have created? Yeah, Oakland, um, I'm, I'm not sure how, how much how much uh, listeners are familiar with Oakland and what's happening there. I really think about Oakland as this like renaissance story, right? I think it was uh, forgotten um, and ignored for a while. It was really considered to be uh, one of their most, you know, crime heavy or uh, riskier neighborhoods, right, in, in kind of like the Bay Area. Um, and yet with the support of the communities, with the right intentions, with the right people kind of like really taking ownership of what's happening there, it's seeing kind of like that that, that renaissance that is going through right now with uh, uh, new businesses popping out, right, with new development coming in, with, uh, again, communities really standing behind and, and kind of like creating that new future. I mean, we can also talk about all the gentrification that is happening there, which is obviously a part of it, unfortunately, of of all their new movement that is happening. And we definitely see it not just in Oakland, but around the country. But I think for us, uh, again, it was very intentional to be there because of kind of like all the good stuff um, that is happening there when it comes to new life, new development, kind of like new 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 air that was bring into, in, into Oakland economy. And uh, to your point, even though we've been remote, even before pandemic, we're gonna continue to be remote. The intention is still there to to be in Oakland and to continue supporting this economy, to continue supporting this community first and foremost. I just looked up to see if there was a Whole Foods in Oakland, and yes, there is. It is. (laughs) Talk about gentrification. Okay. So take us along the journey with you and your co-founder. What was it like to bring this company to where it is today? And what were some of the lessons you learned in starting this company? Um, I actually listened to some of your some of your podcasts, uh, you know, in preparation for this one, and I heard someone talking about answering similar question in a way that uh, always have always have a co-founder, you know, running the company on your own, just like so hard. I will totally sign up to that. Um, it's really it's really really hard to to start and to grow the company on on your own. Um, I really think about the company as it's a child, and it definitely takes a village. Um, and it takes, you know, parents to begin with and then the whole village to support. And so, you know, the relationship that myself and, and my co-founder has, you know, Catherine Berman, we've been friends before we became business partners and we were very much aligned. First, first, first of all, as people, like what, what we want to see in the world, like how we really see ourselves, like what's really important for us. We've gone through like a, a, a long journey together, really aligning ourselves personally, and then moving on into okay, like now, how how are we seeing the world and what we want, what, what we what we want the world to be, um, and so having that alignment is just like incredibly important because things will go sideways. You know, it's obviously entrepreneurship journey; it's always ups and downs, and uh, it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be annoying. It's going to be devastating. It's going to be all, all, all of all the things that sometimes you just want to stop and 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 resign or or, or you know leave it there, 
And then what really keeps you going is that alignment and that, you know, keeping keeping your eyes on that North Star, right? And as long as as long as kind of like you have those eyes on a North Star and you're aligned with your partner, with your uh, business partner, that would really keeps you committed and keeps you on this journey. Um, and then beyond that, obviously, you know, it's not just me and Kat who's who's running the company, it's the whole team. And now we are, you know, we are about 25 people. And this is the whole village that takes to, to raise the child, right? To, to bring C-Note um, to, to, to the level where it is right now. Um, and bringing people on board, again, understanding they're not just here because of their job security or because of the money, but they're really here because they share your vision, they share your mission, they, they, they share the passion, right, for economic justice, for um, social justice. They really share that desire and, and, and the intention that the world needs to look different. Uh, that's what really brings people on board. And that's what really keeps people around in spite of the fact that, again, startup journey can be volatile, right? And, and we don't, we kind of like building, you know, we often give this analogy, it's like we're building the plane as we go, right? Like we, we, we have the direction, right? We, like we know the destination, but there's a lot of things that happen along the way and we have to be flexible, we have to be agile, you know, like we have to be really good communicators. So there's a lot, there's a lot of things that have to go right um, in order to get us there and, and again, having the right team and having like very uh, committed team and passionate team and also like that clear communication uh, matters a lot in that journey. You once said that gender equality and women's empowerment are the DNA of CNOTE, your company. Can you explain this a little bit? Yeah, of course. So we are female-led and female-owned um, CNOTE uh, and we we very much recognize that women founders have been neglected. You know, we very much recognize that the culture, as we know it in the companies, have often been defined by maybe overwhelmingly male energy, right, in the companies rather than than female. Um, and and for us right now, if you look at uh, who we are and and again who is a part of that village. Um, we have a lot of women, you know, we, we are very, very proud to say that, you know, engineering team is, is the biggest, is the biggest team um, at CNOTE. And uh, I think 80% of the team is, um, is female and, and we continue effort and, and keep growing the team and keep giving uh, young, promising, you know, female professional opportunity to really raise up and, and, and be successful and get exposure to, to that to that corporate world or to that impact investing world um, that we that we operate in. So yeah, so we are, you know, we care who we bring on board, you know, we care how the company run, you know, like I think the fact that we are female-led and female-owned um, creates like a certain a certain culture that also attracts, you know, more women. So I've spoken to several entrepreneurs who are in this finance space. Uh, Christina Chi from Domiard, for instance, uh, <clears throat> and other minorities who talk about, you know, they went to a conference and someone asked them to get them a Coke because yep. they didn't look like they were the traditional exactly. finance people. Um, so it's really amazing that you're doing this kind of work in this space. Um, but let's take it back to your background. You, you mentioned background. Um, you come from a place where <laughs> the president has called himself the last dictator of, in Europe. He's your yep. one and only <laughs> president. Uh, what was life like back in Belarus growing up? Growing up in the Soviet Union was probably more 
uh, instrumental and in, in to kind of like my development and to my um, development as a, as a, as a person, but also uh, creating that really interesting contrast, right. Between like common using the socialism and capitalism, right. And really kind of like seeing pluses and minuses behind, you know, behind both systems. Um, so, you, you know, for me growing up, growing up in Soviet union, I'm, I'm very much, you know, used to like, everyone is the same. Everyone is getting exactly the same. Everyone looks the same. Everyone wears the same. Everyone, Kind of like have access to um, you know quote unquote same opportunities and stuff and and some of the things you know kind of like provided to you and and I can tell you you know like when Soviet Union broke up a lot of people were not really happy because suddenly you know you're older and you kind of like have to readjust right to to new way of living and and probably you know like my my parents and my grandparents were definitely not like a big supporter of like going into this new system and um, because they were just like so you know, their mind was just like so baked, you know, so baked in like an old way, old way and old world. And then honestly, the, the transition um, was, was, was obviously not the best, um, you know, for kind of an average, you know, an average person, right? Like I remember we, you know, very quickly we went from like having everything to like suddenly having nothing and, and, and using your food stamps to get, you know, to get any type of food that we could not grow for ourselves, you know, using the, the 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 piece of land that we had, or or you know, growing animals, right? Um, so it was it was it was a really interesting experience remembering that again, going from abundance to now some sort of you know poverty, and again, standing in line in stores and and literally facing like empty empty shelves. Um, and so that's I think like really um, really formed my I don't know if it's understanding, but kind of like formed my maybe like multi um, kind of like structural multi-vertical view on the world and and like again understanding that uh, you know capitalism and you know free markets it's it's working to a certain extent right but there's also like some of that social aspect that is actually really interesting to bring into that system um, and I think that's what that's that's the whole you know that's what we had trying to do right now is this whole concept of like social enterprise, right? When people saying, hey, just, just focusing on your maximizing your return and maximizing your revenue and maximizing shareholder value, it's not necessarily the right thing. You kind of like have to start thinking about their the welfare and the 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 impact in the whole world. And I think some of that, I, I could definitely see some of that connection, you know, back back to my childhood and just like how excited I was like to explore this like new models of of, of creating the value. Clearly, that had an impact on how you saw economics. Um, yeah. And when you came to the U.S., which, of course, is the, the shining example of free markets and capitalism, yeah. how did that make you feel about economics in the U.S. and this idea of free markets? Yeah, yeah. When, when growing up, when growing up in, in Belarus, and again, especially as Belarus was going through a transition and, and we became more open to the Western world and started hearing more stories and, and how people live in, in Europe or in America, very often the perception that we had is America is the richest country and almost to the point that, you know, money leaves, money grows on the, you know, on the trees, which obviously, um, you know, Myth, but to some extent, that's how America was portrayed through you know shows and and media, etc. And um, and so I remember you know when I was going to United States, there's definitely kind of like that excitement to experience that. It's like oh my god, like I'm going to that you know land of you know honey rivers and um, 
again, money, money going in the tree, right? It was definitely kind of like this idealized uh, view of, of America. And then coming to the United States very quickly, that view was um, was shattered in, in, in pieces. Um, and it is because, you know, I came to the United States, I, I decided that I want to, to continue my education and I really wanted to study finance, um, given, um, given that it was my interest uh, that I, I identified studying economics back home in Belarus. And then being here in the United States, going to school, realizing that I cannot get access to, to loan and, and, and I have to have a support from some of their communities that are already created so they can vouch for me and still, you know, being able to pay in cash and working like long hours and living, you know, in kind of like in the cheapest place I can possibly find, I found myself in Bridgeport. And then in Bridgeport, um, it's a very divided, it's a Connecticut generally, it's a very divided state. Like you have, uh, you know, this concept of redlining, right? Like you have uh, across the line is primarily BIPOC community. And then across the street line is going to be primarily white community. And at that time, it didn't really make sense for me. I didn't really know the concept of redlining. But then as I, as I started going through school and as I started like learning more about it, it just suddenly was, was realizations like, wow, America, the way we see it from outside is actually not the America that you experience when you come, when you come here. And the, the color of your skin very much defines the future that you, that you have here. Uh, you know, again, what zip code you were born into, again, defines, it defines that your opportunity to actually generate wealth. And then understanding how a lot of the issues that we're dealing in America right now is really structural issues, right? It was just result of the way the laws were written, you know, the way the history unfolded and, and kind of like us, you know, procrastinating as a society doing something about it. Now we're dealing with, you know, the largest wealth gap in the history and, and you know, all this, all this, you know, health issues, educational issues, I mean, you name it, right? And it really goes back to that, to, 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 to those systematic changes that we've been, you know, not, not really, not, not, not willing to tackle. So you moved here when you were uh, 20 years old in 2004, and I really appreciate the, the nuanced understanding you have about how things work in the United States. That's really terrific, and that you're working very steadfastly to address that. So how do you feel overall, personally, about the United States as that place that allowed you to actualize you know, this particular Belarusian American dream? Yeah. No, again, I, I don't I don't want to sound like downer in the United States. I think the United States does give a lot of opportunities to people. And I think if you're if you're smart, if you're driven, if you're dedicated, um, I think there's a lot of doors that and you know, resilient, right? I think that's that's a big part of it as well. Like I think a lot of doors can really be open to 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 you. And um, and again, I'm obviously experienced it myself, you know, like I work hard, I studied hard, like I, you know, I put myself out there and and I um I was knocking the doors, you know, like until the door opened and at some point the doors, the, the doors open. So I absolutely don't want to diminish, uh, again, the opportunities that America has, has given to me. And, and honestly, I'm also, interestingly enough, surrounded mostly by people that are immigrants here. Just I think, you know, we just have so much to resonate with. Right. And we have so much to in common that I think it's, it's very it's very um, normal that I'm going to be surrounded by people like, like me who've gone through like similar journeys. So. Yeah, and, and most of them have like wonderful lives and have families and you know they build like uh, they build a beautiful life here. So yeah, absolutely. America is a wonderful place for people to really try their energy, to try their ideas, to try their um, you know uh, I don't know projects that they have in mind. As a fellow immigrant who is who does not have his family here, I can tell you 
and I, I that I know how hard it is just to exist, yeah. much less thrive just being by yourself you don't have that social capital to to count on yeah. you don't have mom and dad you know to crash if you lose your place exactly. uh, so i really appreciate the success that you've had so far and i look forward okay. to so much more success coming from you um i really appreciate the work that you do and thank you for creating the jobs that you've that you've created thank you thank you absolutely thank you for reaching out and it's always like fantastic to connect and thank you for letting me tell the story Yulia Tarasova, immigrant from Belarus and co-founder and chief operating officer at C-Note. Thank you for joining us on the JobMakers podcast. This was great. JobMakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thank you for joining us for today's powerful story of immigrant entrepreneurship. Remember, you can subscribe to JobMakers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, leave us a rating and a review. I'm Denzel Mohammed. See you next Thursday at noon for another JobMakers.